This is the Swampscott Library's Librarians by the Sea podcast, where we share our love of a good book with you. I'm your host, Julie Travers. Hello. Hello. Hi, Julie. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. Yeah, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Sure. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Good. So just my first question is, sounds like writing is something that came to you later in life? Yes, uh, indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> I, um, uh, I did not start writing until, well, it was about two hours after I saw my first granddaughter born. Uh, she was, I saw her 30 minutes after she was born and she was in my daughter's arms over in Beverly Hospital. Mm-hmm. And I was deeply stunned and moved. And uh, it was it was the middle of winter. Well, not the middle of winter. It was in the middle of December, uh, the, the 10th of December, a bitter cold night. And uh, we drove home uh, after I saw my granddaughter. Um, drove home past Salem Common and it, the stars were out. Uh, the snow was just there and it, just so present and it's coldness and everything. And uh, I, I went home and I took out a piece of paper and I wrote a quote, welcome to the world letter to my granddaughter, Alexa. And uh, it was just, it just absolutely came right out of me. I was just uh, so deeply moved and it's like I put my pen on the page and it just, it just, it just wrote itself. And um, uh, looking back at it, it would, it was, uh, you could probably wring the page out like a sponge to squeeze all this sentimentality out of what I had put on the page. But it came right from the heart, so to speak. So uh, I didn't even have a computer at the time. And uh, my wife saw this letter and she suggested that I, I write it with my best pen and paper and, uh, uh, and frame this and give it to my daughter for my daughter, Kristen, for a Christmas present. And I did. And my daughter looked at, at this letter and she said, Dad, when did you start writing poetry? I said, I, I don't write poetry. I can't write poetry. She said, Dad, this is poetry. And I said, it can't be. It doesn't rhyme. That's what I knew. So um, the reality of it was there was enough imagery and, and sincere feeling in it that both my daughter and my wife encouraged me to pay attention. I had been looking for a creative uh, outlet. I, I messed around with some watercolors for a while and about eight or ten pictures of sailboats with billowy uh, sails and blue skies and white clouds. <laughs> I thought this isn't going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So they gave me the the encouragement to follow up on this and ultimately um, uh, at the same time uh, I had a uh, I was a dentist at that time and one of my patients was an award-winning short story writer a man by the name of Dennis Musk and uh, and Dennis and I would share stories uh, out of our hours appointment. We talk about 45 minutes and he would talk about his um, family that had some real tragedies in it and led to a lot of his writing. I grew up in a home with a schizophrenic mother and I shared some of my stories and Dennis kept saying, you should write that down. You should write that down. And uh, so that this was all happening at the time that I wrote this uh, letter to my granddaughter. So I had plenty of moral support to start on this journey. So uh, I did start trying to write things and uh, uh, I uh, signed up for a woman named Jeanette Mays who lives in Lynn as the president of the Massachusetts State Poetry Society. I took quite a few of her workshops and I really learned something about the structure of poems and and then my friend Dennis every time I had something that I thought was good he encouraged me to come and he'd listen to it and he was sort of like an early mentor 
mm. even though he was not specifically a poet, but he just gave me so much encouraging uh, and encouragement. And then um, I learned a lot in these workshops with Jeanette Mays, and ultimately I started taking some um, courses from Claire Keyes, who runs something called the Poetry Salon uh, over in Marblehead once a week. And I, so I had people around me that were really teaching me, but I was 56 at that time. I remember it very specifically. And um, it got me started. And, uh, and I, I, it, it was a wonderful experience for me. And ultimately I ended up having a, um, a pretty fair number of poems published. And I have a group that I join. We call ourselves the Tin Box Poets. Um, and we uh, are local and we meet once a month. Um, it has been over at Panera until we had this closed down. But so I've had people around that have encouraged me and, uh, and it's taken me into uh, some territory that I did not know would exist for, for my spirit. It's been a great thing for me. So there's a long-winded explanation. <laughs> no, oh, I got it. Good. Yeah, it sounds like you've had people, either your family or close friends, that have pushed you in the direction to pursue this. Um, yes. What advice would you have to somebody besides seeking out those people um, who wants to start in a creative pursuit, but they're not, you know, they're not sure exactly where to start? Exactly. Um, I, I would say, um, it, particularly if it's in the field of writing, whether it's, I, I'm also in a <clears throat> short story writers group and besides the poetry group. And uh, first, one thing would be if someone's interested and, and they have a friend or they know somebody is doing this, they might ask how their friend got into this. Um, but I think that if someone really feels some curiosity out to, about writing, um, there, there's no harm in trying to do some writing yourself and then look at it. And as days go on, you might see how you would change things and alter it. And you learn something about editing that way. But, but there are groups available, I think, through the libraries you can make contacts. Mm -hmm. um, and um, uh, online, you can find there, there are a lot of courses that you can reach online as well. And uh, I think particularly if you're interested in, in poetry, I would try to find out about where you can attend different readings and go and, and th those things are available. Once a year, the Massachusetts State Poetry Society has their meetings for about a week here in Salem. And um, you can, people, if they're curious about that particular form of uh, creativity, uh, there are workshops you can go to. There are different events that, where you can listen. And if it sounds like, uh, if it sounds like it's something that's stoking your interest, then, you know, you will, you will be able to make connections with people and, uh, uh, but probably the best thing is if you if you have a friend or a friend that uh, and has an acquaintance who's into this sort of thing, um, you can always ask to uh, meet and you know have a cup of coffee and find out how this person got into it and what their advice is. Uh, that sort of happened for me, and um, rather I, I used to think it was accidental, um, but I am convinced now that it was not accidental. And the reason I say that is that my poetry uh, led to my healing with my mother who was schizophrenic. And um, when, when I was a child, uh, I had real struggles with her and it took me quite a while to be mature enough to know and understand that she did not ask for this. But uh, years after my mother died, uh, my poetry brought me, um, uh, rather mysteriously, it started to circle around unfinished business I had with my mother after she died. And the reason poetry has been such a gift to me, and it's not just something for me to do in a creative manner, but it truly led for me it truly led to uh, my 
understanding and accepting my mother's disease and learning more about it. And the poetry brought me into that um, atmosphere that used to be kind of uncomfortable. It, it, there, there were shadows around my mother when this when the schizophrenia really took over and my brothers and I would try to stay out of the shadows. We'd try to stay into the sunlight as much as we could. The poetry allowed me to enter those shadows that were my mother's world. And it, it allowed me to, um, uh, I, I, it would presumptuous, be presumptuous for me to say that I understood her schizophrenia. I don't think anybody can unless you're there. Um, but it allowed me to uh, feel that I could feel her presence more and understand her struggle more. And poetry brought me right into it, no question about it. And, and a lot of this, I'm circling around. I mentioned my friend Dennis Must, who was my patient, who was my early mentor. And uh, he had similar situations in his family. So we could speak sort of a common language when we were talking with each other. And, uh, uh, and, uh, and the one thing I forgot to mention is he kept telling me, write it down, write it down. <clears throat> one day after an appointment where we didn't do any dentistry and we just had some pretty intense conversation, he left and he came back about an hour later <clears throat> with a gift. And it was a blank journal, a blank album, with a wonderful, simple card that simply said, fill these pages. And that was, that was it. I, 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 w I was getting all these signs that this is something I should pursue. Um, so that, um, that, that all sort of happened. Again, I gave you a long-winded answer. I probably ended up a hundred miles away from where we started. <laughs> No, I'm glad to have it. Yeah, it actually sort of takes me into one of my other questions that I had for you, which is, do you consider writing to be almost a form of therapy for yourself? Or, or oh, you yes. Uh, it, it, I mean, it's not just that, but there's no question when my poetry entered my mother's world, uh, I did get into it. And that led to me writing, um, I I don't know whether you are familiar with the memoir that I wrote, which was called Dancing with Fireflies. Yes. The poetry led me into that. Uh, uh, so that the poetry actually came first and that, that poetry book was published later, but the poetry led me into that world that my mother was in. And in my short story writers group, um, I, uh, some of my short stories were little stories that were included in that memoir about getting my first baseball mitt and uh, the 4th of July story where my mother was very upset. And, and um, there was a very funny story in there that it, if you read it, my, my cousin planted this big tropical plant, my father's patch of Swiss chard. Mm -hmm. and, and I made short stories out of these things. They were events from my childhood. And one day uh, in my writers, my short story writers group, we had about five people in it at the time. And one day I said, you know, I, I'm out of gas. I don't have, uh, I, I can't think of any stories to write. And someone said, well, why don't you write your memoir? And I said, I don't know how to write a memoir. And they said, you've already started it. These stories from your childhood expand on it. And so I got into writing the memoir and, uh, and so these stories of my childhood were weaved in and out of the, the, the uh, I guess you would call them the uncertain adventures we had with my mother. And, um, and part of what I did, the more I got into it, the more I began to understand my mother. She, she was dead at this time. Mm. And... Um, the more I began to understand her and some of the things she she went through, uh, uh, I found, um, I did some research and I found where she and her uh, 10 brothers and sisters at the time where they lived in Roxbury, uh, there was a big German settlement in Roxbury back at that time. Her parents immigrated from Germany around the 19, right around 1900. And 
I found out about her history and her own father, her, her oldest sister incidentally died in the Spanish flu epidemic. Um, astounding. I, I, uh, uh, I was really reflecting on that uh, during this past few months. And um, I, uh, I just had uh, all this history just came together and um, I, uh, I found that as I was writing about my mother's story and her history, um, it was very therapeutic for me. I actually contacted uh, the state hospital in Danville, Pennsylvania, where she was. Um, she had to go and had to be, um, uh, she, she was taken in there for six months uh, because of uh, her, her behavior was <clears throat> possibly getting a little dangerous for my brothers and me and for her. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, so she had been in that hospital. So, uh, and I, I had, I had memories from my childhood about visiting her there. Uh, but now as an adult writing this story, I contacted the hospital and I found this <clears throat> wonderful woman I talked to in the medical records division. And I said, I, I'm, I'm trying to get some information. Uh, it's not about medical treatment or finances or anything, but I explained my situation that um, I wanted to see if they could release my mother's medical records when, from when she had been admitted. Mm -hmm. This woman was very understanding and she, uh, I, uh, she said, well, what is the purpose? And I said, well, uh, I'm trying to um, do a little research to make myself understand a little more about et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And at one point uh, I ran out of words and she said, as in healing. And I said, oh my God, she nailed it as in healing. So she really understood what I was looking for. And long story short is she sent the, my mother's records uh, and I was struck very deeply by how at that time, this would have been in 1945, um, I was eight years old at the time. And I was absolutely struck in reading the records about how compassionate and kind and non-judgmental the doctors and the nurses were in their words that went into the record. And, uh, and that, that in itself was extremely uh, uh, meaningful to me. It was, it was a wonderful thing for me to realize how compassionately they had treated her. And uh, so there's no question that the writing, uh, especially when the poetry led me into writing this memoir, I really was reliving many, many parts of my life at the time, and uh, no question that it led me to healing. And I, th I think it's the, the biggest gift. I, I would, every, every day now, I think of my mother, and it's no longer with anger or fright, and it's with that I'm close to her. And uh, you, you, you may recall if you read through the whole book and the memoir, the very end of it is when um, I'm sitting at my desk and I'm writing a poem called Vespers, which was a reflection of my visit with my father when I was eight years old, when we went into the uh, hospital to visit her. And uh, when I was writing this poem, it was at, at the end of my story that, uh, that where I wove that writing of the of Vespers into it. And my, uh, there were two nights that I was writing this poem. Uh, I was working at the time. And this was after a very strategic visit with my father, um, probably some, uh, oh, maybe eight years after my, my mother died. And uh, I was really getting interested in this and I was able to, on this visit, I asked my father a lot of questions about what it had been like and he really answered a lot of, filled in a lot of blanks for me. So I went home, my wife and I went back, came back to Swampscott and I could not wait to get to the, um, get my pen and paper out. And uh, I started writing this Vespers poem, which was about that visit to her in the hospital. And I was up until one or one thirty in the morning, two nights in a row. And as I was writing the poem, 
I had this um, uh, true true story. I had this feeling of that I wasn't alone. Uh, somebody was there with me, but no, my wife was asleep in another room. My dog was asleep at my feet. And um, second night, I felt like my mother was with me looking over my shoulder. She had been dead 11 years at that point. And I ended up the poem, which is sort of where the memoir ends up. And my question was, are we okay, mom? And uh, we're good, she says, which is, I, I believe, as I recall, that's how the memoir ended. So the poetry led me to that whole thing. My healing with my mother never would have happened without the poetry. So I have the, 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 the double-edged gift of uh, just the satisfaction of being able to write the poetry and, and express uh, things that I want to express. And, um, and above and beyond that, the icing on the cake is it really brought me close to my mother. So uh, that has been a gift. There's no question about it, Julie. It's, oh. it's therapeutic. That's great. Going back to something you said earlier, um, I did have a chance to read your book and I thought it was really powerful. Thank um, you. Whether or not you live with somebody with mental illness or you know, know somebody with it, um, yeah. there's a lot to, to glean from it. But one thing I really did like was the insight into your family history going back you know, generations. Um, yeah. And I wanted to ask you how you did the, the historical research on that. Great question. Uh, great question. And this, is, this leads to another one of those things that I used to think was an accident, but I'm not so sure. I think it was planned elsewhere. Um, I grew up in uh, State College, Pennsylvania, Central Pennsylvania, at the same time where Penn State University is located. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was born here in the Boston area in Faulkner Hospital, actually. <clears throat> my, my mother and dad lived here. And then um, one, some of the family moved to State College. One, my mother's oldest sister moved there. And um, there were jobs available. And so they could, um, they could get these, you know, they, could, uh, they sent for some of the other family to... Uh, uh, to come down and there were jobs that were available and uh, so uh, many of the there were several of the families that moved there Long, what, what I'm getting at is that I grew up in State College with a whole bunch of cousins and um, uncles and aunts so sometime after we'd all moved away and and before I even really started to get into poetry, um, we had a reunion back in State College. And as a matter of fact, as I remember, it was uh, the same summer of the 9-11 events, um, uh, earlier in the summer, a couple months before that. So we had this reunion with um, probably eight, seven, eight, nine of my cousins and their families, and everybody brought letters, photographs, historical information from the family, because uh, I think all but maybe one or two of the uncles and aunts were gone at this point. So we had this table that was just loaded with these interesting photographs and uh, letters from one uncle uh, to another or you know, information like that. And it was fascinating. And I was looking at it, paging through it. And I, and I thought to myself, I, we got to do something with this. So I took everything home with me and I ended up making kind of a homemade uh, family history. And uh, I had some really wonderful pictures and great historical information about how our grand, our, th these would have been, yeah, my, my grandparents, my mother's and my father's, uh, how they immigrated here from Germany, uh, even had some pictures from from that time. And uh, so I put this homemade history together. And in doing that, um, I was I was educating myself in my mother's history. And uh, uh, so all of that information was there when I got into the um, 
poetry and when I got into the memoir writing and some of that information actually was his, the historical information that found its way that, that kind of grounded me for that story. So I used to think that was an accident that that happened. And I wonder, I've often wondered if we had never had that reunion or never brought all that uh, family history with us, um, I wonder if I would have gone on this uh, very interesting journey. But uh, again, that's that's where the uh, historical information came from. Oh, great. Yeah, pretty fortuitous. Yes, indeed. Yeah. I also wanted to ask you about the differences in your process between writing the memoir and writing a book of poetry or individual poems even. What's that process? How is that process different? Boy, that's a, that's a great question. Um, you know what's, what is interesting? Well, for me, um, if I'm writing a poem, I've learned, uh, and it's not easy. Uh, some, so many of us uh, kind of feel like when we, we put something down on the paper, you, you think it and you think it and and it took me a long time to realize that what I put down on the paper doesn't have to mean that's the final thing. You know, it's like you got to have it perfect before you write it down. So when I'm writing a poem, I've started um, to, I will take a folder and if I have an idea for the poem, but not sure what the name is. So in pencil, I'll write the name of the poem. Mm. And then on paper, with a pen and paper, I will just start to write down the ideas that I want to have in the poem. And maybe there will be a line that I think this will work and I'll write that line in sort of something that I want to have crafted for later. But I, I try to write down, I overwrite for a poem. I try to overwrite and put down every single thing that I think I might want in it. And then I, I like to say it's like, putting it in a slow cooker on the back of the stove and it just sort of gurgles along on, on low heat. Then I'll come back to it in a few days and maybe I have more things to add to it. And then I'll get to a point where I say, okay, now I got to start taking away. Mm. And you look at it and you try to, to um, shrink the wordage because a poem has to be dense and, and um, uh, each word has to carry its own weight is what, one of the things that I learned from Jeanette Mays, the uh, woman from the Mass State Poetry Society. And I will, uh, I will start to craft the poem then. And I still like the act of writing with my pen and in longhand. And then when I'm finally getting it shaped up, I'll go to my computer and maybe I'll start to shape the poem into stanzas and play around with it because it's a lot easier to do it there in the computer where you might want to break a line in a different place and just shift it rather than erasing it and starting all over again on paper. Mm -hmm. So I, but I do start with the writing, you know, that way. And then I, I shift to the computer and then I start to do the final shaping. If I am writing, when I wrote the memoir, um, I, uh, as I mentioned, some of these short stories I had written, and it was a matter of just learning how and where to blend those into the into the memoir. But when I would be uh, with the memoir, at, at that point I uh, had a computer, and I was starting to. I taught. I took that. Um, oh, there was a course that you could take about typing. On is, was it? I can't remember the name, but somebody teaches typing and I taught to myself how to type. So with a longer story, um, I might just in longhand write down ideas that I might want to have and moving from one event to another and so on. But then I'll go to the computer because it's a lot easier to rewrite. But what I did find is that each line that I was writing uh, I was kind of subconsciously thinking about the rhythm of it and the meter of it. And is it moving forward or is it clumsy? And that my, my poetry, uh, I've been told this by other people that they felt like um, there were parts of it that read sort of like a poem. It moved uh, without being bumped around. And I think uh, I, I would... I would often recite a line out loud to listen to how it sounded. So 
I think my poetry made me try to be uh, more sensitive about the, uh, the prose writing. And I did have some wonderful help. Uh, the people that say, oh, they get an idea and they write it down the first time and that's it because you don't want to take anything away from the fresh thoughts and all that sort of thing. 99 out of 100 times when you read something like this, you think, well, there was, this was good, but it should have had some editing, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and my writing often is very much the way I talk. I talk a long time and a lot, and you can condense it down pretty easily. So, uh, and I'm giving a good example of that now. But, um, but I did find that um, uh, I, I've had help in my group, and they would say, you know, you don't have to repeat this part here. And, um, uh, but the, uh, the poetry really sort of was the basis for how I would try to do the prose writing. Uh, it was not quite as tight and all that sort of thing. But, um, mm. but, but the biggest thing of all was when I finally got it into my head that it doesn't have to be perfect with your first draft. You should go back and rewrite. And, and uh, you know, along that thing, one final thought. I became acquainted with Donald Hall, who was the poet laureate of the U.S., lived in New Hampshire, and he died a couple of years ago. Mm. And I had a collection of uh, about eight or nine letters between us that, uh, that I really treasure. But he had the reputation for never having finished a poem. He, he, re he revised two and three hundred times for a poem, wow. which is astounding, you know. Uh, so, but that was, that was really helpful when I realized that, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect, the first draft, you know, that sort of thing. Right. What about your writing routines? I know we're kind of in a atypical time, but do you try to write every day or, you know, whenever you feel inspired to do so or? Yeah. I, you know, the interesting thing is uh, you're very, you're right on to something about these current times uh, when I theoretically would have more time to write. Uh, I've been fairly non-productive. I think I've been distracted about the news and what's going on. I, I, I feel a lot of unrest about things that are happening in our country. And, um, and I'm, I'm perhaps watching too much news. Back when I was writing more productively, um, my writers group would meet once a month. My poetry group would meet once a month. And the goal was that, you know, I wanted to have a new poem for that meeting or a new short story for my writers group. So um, it did kind of keep me on more of a schedule to get my homework done, so to speak. Mm. And, um, uh, and I would try to, um, and I was working at the time when much of this was going on. So a lot of it happened after I retired. So I, I did have more time for it. But uh, because of the fact that I had a goal to get a poem done for that month or, or uh, a short story or part of a short story, that motivated me to do my, my uh, homework. So when, when I would come home from work, I'd often go out for a run with a couple of buddies. I, I, was, I was into marathon running at the, the whole time. And, uh, you know, and um, uh, the, the other thing was that um, I was, as I, as I mentioned, um, I was uh, older when all this happened. So my daughter, uh, my daughter was gone and I didn't have to be, uh, do the things that a, a young father would do. So I had time and in, in the evenings, I usually would try to find an hour to do some writing and, uh, or on a weekend if I had some time. I had so many other interests that I, I had a lot of other things that were competing for the, for the time. But I did, knowing that I had a meeting and I wanted to get something done, I would find time to get an hour here and there and work on it. And uh, when I was in the process of finishing the memoir, that was very intense. Uh, I went through a few weeks of really, really working with the people that were helping me put it together. And uh, there were pictures and things like that that had to be placed. And uh, uh, so at that time, I, it was a lot of fine tuning and uh, uh, did quite a bit of work on that. I would like to get back in the groove of 
uh, finding an hour every day where I just sit down and work on a poem. And I got some ideas now. Uh, I've got some ideas with some of the things that are going on that um, if I get an idea, that's it. That's it. The worst thing is to sit there with the, the, the pen and the paper and, and think, oh, what am I going to write? What am I going to write? What am I going to But when I have an idea, then that just, that's everything. And I can, I can get cooking when that happens. Where do your ideas usually come from um, besides our current, you know, issues that we're dealing with? Yeah. Um, I would say, I would say for me, <clears throat> some of my ideas are reflecting back on my childhood and some interesting things are happening to me now. I, I just had my 83rd birthday two days ago. Some interesting things are happening. I have a little neighbor right next, right next door, a little boy who's just uh, turned five and he just had a little baby sister born. And, uh, and then some other, uh, some real nice neighbors around us, you know, young families. And I'll see some of the things this little boy and his father are doing. They're, they're, the parents are both working from home now, given the current situation. But I'll hear them in the backyard playing catch, uh, or he's taking batting practice. Uh, uh, he and I play pranks on each other. Uh, I showed him how to plant an ice cream plant, and he, I told him to water it with milk. And lo and behold, one day there was a jug of ice cream on the top of the plant. <laughs> and then, of course, I found some pink flamingos in my garden. But seeing this this little kid, it re causes me to reflect back on a lot of things that happened in my childhood. And my best short stories were about things that happened in the childhood. So, uh, and it, another thing is music. Mm. Uh, I had, uh, when I was in, in high school, um, I, I really loved music. And in fact, I had to go, I had a chance to go to Penn State, uh, where I grew in that was the town where I grew up. I had a chance to go there on a music scholarship, but I also, um, I was a good distance runner and I had a chance to go for a track scholarship. So being the 18 year old guy, I took the, I, I went into the track situation and, but I, I, I always retained my love of music and so in uh, recent years, after I retired, I started singing in the, uh, the big festival chorus over at Old North Church in Marblehead. They sing, uh, there might be 80 to 100 people in the choir. Of course, that's, that's gone right now, but we sing some beautiful classical music and then my own church choir, which is uh, small, about 12 people or so. Um, and my love of music has come back and the music when I'm um, uh, preparing, uh, you know, we're, we're trying to learn something like the Brahms Requiem and we're preparing it for the Christmas concert or the Palm Sunday concert. Um, when I'm practicing at home and with a computer now, you can get these, what they call MIDI files, where you can, you can hear the notes for the particular thing. And it's a great way of learning when I'm into the music and singing it and thinking and listening to it, it sort of stirs up my creative juices. And sometimes I'm more productive writing at the same time. I'm more productive with my writing when I am uh, having choir rehearsals once or twice a week for a given concert. It's, uh, I guess that's not unusual, but it's like the creative juices can spread out a little in a few different directions. And I, th I think if the music is getting into me, it, it often gives me some ideas for writing. Mm. That's great. Yeah, it seems like one almost feeds the other. Yes, indeed, it does. I also want to ask you about what other poets inspire you. Do you have a, any favorites? Yes, I do. That's a great question. Um, I'll give you a um, um, perhaps a, a slightly longer answer. Um, at, the, at the time that I was getting interested in poetry and didn't really quite know what poetry was, there was a wonderful program on, um, we, on the, we would get it on, on WGBH, uh, the uh, 
Channel 2. Oh, and this goes back 20, 25 years ago. Bill Moyers had a wonderful program called The Language of Life. Mm -hmm. In this program, he interviewed different poets. And this was at the time that my friend Dennis Must, my patient, was encouraging me to start writing poetry. And I happened to see, so I, I said, well, poetry, I'll see what this is about. And I watched some of these um, programs with Bill Moyers. And I remember being really profoundly moved when he was interviewing Donald Hall, who was the poet laureate of the US. And he had been married to Jane Kenyon, who was a fabulous poet. Uh, and uh, just absolutely, she, they, they've both written wonderful poetry. But one of the programs involved Donald Hall and Jane Kenyon at a, um, uh, it was probably some auditorium at a school up in uh, New Hampshire. They lived in Wilmot, New Hampshire, and they were reading poems to the audience. And the people in the audience were teachers and truck drivers and farmers and uh, you know ordinary folks. And when I was in high school, my teacher, she meant well, uh, but I would say she murdered Shakespeare 50 times in one semester. And I just, I, it, it, I just did not like poetry. I think it was the way it was presented or maybe, my, maybe I was just intellectually lazy at the time. But um, uh, I, I had no interest in it. And then when I saw this, uh, I, I did get interested and, um, uh, and I started to, um, I started to get into it. And I also, so Donald Hall influenced me. I loved his poetry and Jane Kenyon's. They were a couple. Um, Robert Bly at the time was doing a uh, traveling event where he was meeting with these gatherings of men. I think, uh, I think the goal of some of this was to work on men's sensitivity issues and this sort of thing. And he would go, he was on the circuit traveling to different places and he would present this program with certain poetry and, uh, and it was very moving. And um, uh, so I paid attention to some of that. One other poet who was more of uh, in the uh, uh, classical mode, I guess you would say was Rainer Maria Rilke. And um, at the time I was getting interested in poetry um, I was struggling very much with my, uh, the religion of my childhood. And I, I don't want to get into too much detail with that, but I was, I was just struggling with it and, and feeling um, uh, let down by it and, and so on. And I started, somebody put me onto reading Rainer Maria Rilke's poetry and it was wonderful for me. It filled a gap and it made me really understand that uh, because of his poetry, uh, my search for uh, the, the higher power or God or whatever you would like to call that entity, uh, in his poetry, I found that spirit in the evening sunset in the uh, in the wind blowing through the woods, uh, in just how uh, uh, how uh, an old woman walking down the street with a young child, how he described that, and I I I felt like his poetry was somewhat magical in the way it lifted my spirit, mm. and so that inspired me, and um, and I think that. Um, I, without, I think, again, this was accidental, that in much of my poetry, uh, I think there's a note of something hopeful in it. I've had, I've had people who uh, were going through, well, I, I remember a friend of mine who was going through a divorce, and, uh, um, and he uh, uh, asked, he wanted to get one of my poetry books, and he did. And I thought, oh, I, I thought, well, I, I can't imagine he's interested in poetry. I, I really didn't expect anything from him. Came back to me uh, 
a few weeks later and he said, you know, I'm going through a rough time. And I said, yeah, I know. I'm sorry about that. And I try to have coffee with him once in a while. And then he told me there were five or six of your poems that I read. And I, I felt better about something that I was going through at a particular time. And wow, did that, that really, that really was meaningful to me. And I, I think that, um, that, you know, some of the poems would be humorous and they're, they're not in that vein at all. But I, I think with a lot of them, I, I like to uh, find that there's something a bit uplifting in them. And, mm. uh, but Rainer and Maria Rilke opened my eyes to that, that this spiritual presence is all around us. Uh, you, you don't have to be in church on your knees to, um, to take that in. You have to just pay attention to what's there in nature and, and around in the way some people are so compassionate and uh, the poetry was very meaningful to me. So I would say that influenced me very much. Mm, that's great. Um, in a similar way, I'm, I'm wondering if you have been reading anything that you can recommend to people. Um, it doesn't have to be poetry, you know, yeah. anything, anything that you've been enjoying lately. Yeah, uh, I, I, uh, a few years ago, I read a wonderful book, uh, and I, I forgot the name of the author. He was a, a, a physician who died. It was called When, uh, when Breath Becomes Air, mm -hmm. and it was the dying process. And uh, I forgot the man's name. It's on my bookshelf. Um, but that was very meaningful. And um, I do like to, every once in a while, read a mystery or something just to get me in a whole nother thing. But right now, uh, I'm reading um, The Water Dancer by Ta-Nehisi Coates. I hope I'm saying it the right way. And it's relevant right now with what is, what is going on with uh, you know, the racial unrest that we're having in our country. And I'm, I'm reading that book right now, and it's really fascinating because he's He's writing this from the, the experience uh, of being a, a young uh, a young child growing up in slavery condi <laughs> conditions and presenting things that that uh, that a person in that situation would deal with that I would never even have thought about you know mm. so that's been that's been uh, that's been very good for me I. I I'd say that's the one book that I've really been interested in lately that very, very, um, it's got my attention for sure. I'm not reading as much as I want to, but I'm getting back into it again. I, I've got to get over this distraction of what's going on, but I'm, I'm starting to read more. And, uh, uh, but that, that book is right on top of my head right now. That's great. Um, so speaking of that, I think, we had meant, we talked earlier about you maybe reading a poem, one of your poems that. Yes, yes. I, I thank you, uh, thank you very much, Julie, uh, and thank you for this. I, I've enjoyed this. Um, there's a there's a poem that I at the time I wrote this. Uh, I don't. I guess I don't have in the book here the date when I wrote it. It's on my computer. But there's a poem that I wrote. I, I'm guessing I wrote this maybe seven or eight years ago. Hmm. And all of a sudden, I've been thinking about this. And I think, it, for me, this poem is very relevant today because we have this, uh, we've gone through this period that, in my judgment, I, I feel that we've lost our civility, uh, our kindness to each other, uh, uh, not only just politi <laughs> politically, but um, uh, I think in recent years uh, we've. It seems that the people who do have uh, racist feelings feel more emboldened about expressing that, and uh, so I I found this poem that I'd like to think is very much the opposite. It's much more about what should be attracting us to each other and holding us together. And, uh, you know, to use a, uh, a, a try to, well, not to use it, an overused expression, it's that sort of we're all in this together sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So here's, here's my poem. And I, 
I think at least for me, it's relevant today. Mm. Names of stars. What do you name when you search the heavens? The evening glare of Venus, the glow of the Milky Way, the Hercules cluster, faintly visible to the naked eye. Hold open your chart. Identify the brilliant occupants of night, the vigilant guards and migrating refugees of the darkness, Aldebaran, the bloodshot eye of Taurus, Antares, heart of scorpion, the pulsing variable Delta Scuti, blinking like a firefly on a summer night. Do you bow to the nuclear angels, Gyansar, Rastaban, Tuban, potent in light, holy in name? What might we see from those distant, from those distant galaxies, telescope reversed, our vision directed toward Earth? Are we not stars in our own constellations? Find our names in temples and mosques, churches and choirs, nursing homes and prisons. Search for the teacher of children, the grass mower, the sweating young man on the trash truck, the driver of the 18-wheeler on the endless interstate, the healer of the spirit, the one who sutures the bleeding, bleeding wound. We move in our own elliptical orbits, responding to the gravity between us, trying to get it right between us. We carry our own sacred light. Our names are celestial. Hold open your chart. Name the congregation. Abdul, Budeva, and Charlie. Dennis, Florence, Giovanni, Heather, and Hitzak. Jean, Karim, Megan and Ming, Santiago, Sophia, Tomas, and Tim, Yakis, Zachary. From A to Z, each of us carries our own holy of holies. Name yours. Be blessed by it. Wow. So that's it, Julie. <laughs> yeah, that's great. It's a, a little bit of hope for these times. I hope so. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Well, I think those are all my questions and I appreciate your time and the poem that you read. I think that's, that will, you know, give some people some comfort this time. Thank, thank you, Julie. It was very, very kind of you to uh, invite me to do this. And uh, uh, I look forward to hearing. Yes. And, and thank you very much for, uh, for giving me this uh, opportunity. Oh, yes. Anytime. All right. Well, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you, Julie, and same to you. All right. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.